University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Well, over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you some of my favorite adventure movies, but how rude of me because I haven't asked you what your favorite adventure movies are. So does anybody, anybody want to share this morning their favorite adventure films of all time? Star Wars? Star Wars? Never heard of such tales. Yeah, not the, not the prequels. We won't count those in canon. Anybody? Jurassic Park? I remember the day I went and saw Jurassic Park in the movie theater. The seat was a little wet afterwards. <laughs> Anybody else? Indiana Jones. Gosh, y'all are people after my own heart. Okay, so my favorite adventure movie of all time. All time. Here's a pop quiz. Which movie introduced us to the Truffle Shuffle? The Goonies? Okay. Youth, you've got a special award after uh, worship today. Uh, It is a high five from me. Uh, Cherish it. Yes, The Goonies. That's my favorite adventure movie of all time. Uh, Richard Donner's 1985 uh, movie shaped my childhood. And I'm starting to realize that it would be helpful if I gave uh, an appendix of movie references before worship so that if you need to study up and get the, the context of this illustration, it would be very important. So uh, it's a story of a group of friends who are faced with the foreclosure of their family's homes, so they set out on an adventure to find old pirate treasure. Um, with the help of this old treasure map, they face all kinds of booby traps. Yes, I said booby traps. And, uh, sorry, some of y'all got the reference. Um, don't forget about these wanted criminals. And despite all the obstacles, they, they ventured out together to discover this new thing. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been working through a series to begin our time together as a faith community called Shared Journey, discovering together what God has in store for us. And we've looked at what it means to step out in faith, what it means to journey together as sojourners in this process of, of a faith journey. And to wrap this series up this week, uh, we're going to examine what it looks like to discover together what God has in store for us. The thing is, fear and trepidation often hold us back from discovering what lies at the end of an adventure. So take a look at the book of Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts chapter 16, verse 4. Now last week we did touch base in Acts chapter 2, And we discovered what this early church community was doing. They were just that, a community. They weren't just a a gathering of people under a a steeple or around an organ or around passing plates around. They were a group of people who were living life well together. They were sharing life together. They were worshiping together. They were growing in Christ together. They were becoming more together together. And things begin to develop in the early church rather quickly. Uh, And actually, there's moments in this early chapter where themes don't seem that great for the church. We learned there were early church leaders, a man named Stephen, who is actually tried and stoned to death for preaching the message of Jesus. His death comes at the leadership of the villain of the early church, a man named Saul. And yet God has different plans for Saul. Jesus, the risen Lord, meets 
this Saul on the road to Damascus. His life has changed forever, but we learn that the early church uh, wanted to keep Saul at arm's distance. How could this enemy of the church come to know Christ, come to be called by Christ to be a leader? But, but Paul, we also know him as Saul, begins to develop into this church. He begins to have this calling from God to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. But it always wasn't this way. Something significant happened in Paul's calling. A, a radical shift took place in the church, one they were not expecting. So Saul's name was not changed to Paul, but what we read in the book of Acts is that as Saul begins to lead the Gentile nation, the Greek-speaking people, to come to Christ, he begins to be referred to as Paul, the Greek version of the name Saul. But all this begins to pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 4. Here goes. As they, Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy, traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in numbers daily. See, Paul is called to take the gospel message beyond the confines of, of the Jewish mission, and, and there they begin to grow into this conflict. See, as Paul is leading these Gentiles to Jesus, some of the Jewish Christians were indignant that these Gentiles must be circumcised in order to come to full faith in Christ. And you can just see the pained look on people's faces when you drop that word, circumcision. I mean, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that seems more unloving than demanding that another grown person go through that sort of procedure in adult life. And there the church leaders, they debated, they, they discerned, they decided that they were going to no longer require circumcision of these new converts. Yay, big day for the church, right? And the church also discerned at this moment that Paul and Barnabas should return to the churches that they had helped establish. They would go there and encourage them. This is what they viewed was the best use of their time and talents and resources. So they voted and they commissioned Paul to go. Fresh off the Jerusalem council decision, an interesting thing happens in verse 3. Um, Luke tells us, uh, we skipped over this, that, that Paul takes Timothy and then circumcises him. It seems like the strangest decision in Paul's journey. He, he debates, he argues with the early church to stop this, and yet he takes Timothy to the side and puts them through all sorts of pain. So let's cut this conversation off about circumcision. Um, yes, pun intended. Um, what we need to grasp is that the church made a tremendous decision. They had prayed. They had discerned. They had decided from, from the very leadership of those who actually heard and followed Jesus physically, they believed that this is what God was calling Paul and his companions to do. And verse 5 tells us, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew in number daily. Great things happen when the people of God actually are doing the work of God. It's exciting to feel God's calling and to step out in faith and to fulfill these things that God is calling you to. And there are big and small moments in, in our life every single day when you have the opportunity to make a decision. Now, I'm not talking about the tremendously difficult decision of whether I will be getting the caramel frappuccino or the bold cup of coffee. Always go with the bold cup of coffee. There's all sorts of gross chemicals in there that is going to make you die like 40 years earlier. I'm not talking about that kind of difficult decision. 
I'm not talking about whether you're going to go and get the big sale at Costco this week or whether you're going to take another vacation this year or whether you're going to confess to Andy in confidence that you really do like Alabama, but you have to put up this front because we're in tiger territory. Those are not the kind of difficult decisions I'm talking about. How do you make life decisions? Is God involved? How do you make those career decisions or evaluate how you're going to spend your money? For those who follow Jesus, our hope is that we are making God-centered decisions. These are the types of decisions that we will be faithful to God's call in our life that will reflect the way of Jesus and enhance the kingdom of God. So as you consider the decisions you make each day, are you centering them on the kingdom of God? As you make your decisions, are you thinking, will this advance the kingdom of God? As you are making friendships and partnerships, as you are living in marriage, are you thinking how I might advance the other person to follow Christ? And the way that you treat your co-workers, are you considering how Christ might call you to treat them? Do you allow the Spirit of God to empower you to make decisions each day? This is the type of moment we're having within our text. Paul is doing what the church prayed and thought he should be called to do, but then something strange happens in verse 6. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Spirit of God from preaching in the province of Asia. They came to the border of Mycenae. Then they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. The great American author Kurt Vonnegut once wrote, Laughter and tears are both the response to frustration and exhaustion. I myself prefer laughter since there's little less cleaning to do afterwards. I feel like this is the type of moment that Paul is having. The church and Paul have discerned that this is exactly what he is called to do, but a strange thing happens. They voted, they discerned, they felt this was what God was calling them to, but then it says that the Spirit of God would not allow them to go into this place. What does that look like exactly? I've often wondered that. Was there some sort of roadblock that took place? Was there construction along the way? Was there some sort of unearthly creature blocking them from moving forward? Was Gandalf standing there screaming, You shall not pass! What did it look like in this moment? Luke doesn't tell us. All we know is they're not allowed to enter into this place. They can't move forward. It says simply, the Spirit of God would not allow them. That's a tough place to be in. It's a tough place to be in where you think you are doing exactly what God has called you to do, and yet in that moment, God seems to be saying, "Ah, actually, there's other plans in mind. That's a frustrating place. Have you been there? I've been there. In the last few uh, months, uh, the folks at NASA have discovered several other Earth-like planets in our universe. And the hope is that, that one day we can uh, go there and um, inhabit the planet, I guess, if you will. The problem is, is that it's 500 light years away, and with our current technology, that would take us 18.6 million years. That just kind of blows your mind at how big the universe really is. But rocket scientists are, are considered to be uh, some of the brightest in their field, but, but NASA isn't always successful. Take, for example, in 1999, NASA lost a $125 million Mars Orbiter satellite. 
Do you want to know what led to the loss of a $125 million satellite? This is absolutely hilarious. An effort to uh, have a partnership with Lockheed Martin Engineering Company, NASA used the metric system of building its specs, and the Lockheed Engineering Company used the English unit of measurement. The result was a $125 million satellite lost in space. That's an expensive whoops when you think about it. While no one would ever label the Apostle Paul and the early church leaders as rocket scientists, these are the people that walked with Jesus. These are the people that knew Christ the best, and yet it seems in this moment that they got something wrong. They misunderstood God. They misunderstood what God was calling Paul to. And right now, Paul and his companions are feeling a sense of loss. They're wrestling with the question of, what just happened? And wondering why this is happening. Have you ever been there? Right there in the heart of scratching your head, wondering what you missed, what you misunderstood, how you came to this place, what kind of mistake could we have made to bring us here? Could it be that the church leaders simply misunderstood what God was calling Paul to do? Of course. Could it be that you and I often misunderstand God? Absolutely. We live in a culture that wants to be right all the time, and so it's hard to develop a habit within our mind to think we could possibly be wrong about something. You can be wrong. I can be wrong. Jennifer would come up here and preach a thousand sermons about how I can be wrong. But sometimes we simply misunderstood what God was saying. Sometimes we discern something different individually and collectively as a faith community. But are we willing to admit we are wrong? As we come up on those roadblocks, are we willing to stop and consider that God is doing something new? Could it be that a no and a roadblock that we face is an opportunity to discover something that God has in store for us? Could it be that we have an opportunity to stop considering why and start looking to God for more leadership? In the fall of 2009, I was sensing a stirring of God. Um, it was time to discover the next chapter of my vocational journey through serving uh, as a pastor at a local church. So I did what every minister would do up to this point. I gave my resume to my mentors and <laughs> said, send it out to where you think I would do well. And they did. And they sent it out to all these different churches. And I had two specific churches that, uh, that brought Jennifer and I in for a weekend interview. And everything on paper looked wonderful. These were wonderful churches with wonderful histories, with wonderful people doing wonderful things. And yet on the drive home, something happened. The excitement of what if turned into a dissonance that we could not name. It didn't make sense. These were perfect opportunities, yet the Spirit of God seemed to be saying to us, no. So in the early fall of 2010, after over a year of search processes, we told both of these churches no. It felt like we were staring at a screen with everything perfectly laid out for us, only to have God hit control A and wipe the screen clean. When we come across these roadblocks of Mycia, we must make a conscious decision to either get frustrated and quit or draw to a place of obedience to God. 
These roadblocks are opportunities for us to sit back and consider what new things God is doing, where God might be leading us. And and not discerning what God desires for us is what matters most. It's in obediently following the leadership of God. Let me say that again. It's not in discerning what God desires for us that matters the most. It's in following God's leadership obediently. And this is what happens in verse 9. It says, During the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul has seen the vision, we got up at ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I sometimes have crazy dreams. I had this reoccurring dream when I was a kid of this rock chasing me down a hill. The funny thing is, I stopped having the dream when I was in Sri Lanka building homes, and I almost had a huge boulder fall on top of me. I don't know if Paul ate something weird or really God does work in dreams, but Paul has this crazy dream of this man he's never met before, of this place that he's never been before, calling him to come. Instead of getting frustrated and quitting, Paul comes to a place of obedience. He's open to receive what God has envisioned. Paul is willing to follow the leadership that God has given him, an opportunity to step into something new. You see, these roadblock moments are opportunities for us to be formed by God individually and collectively as a church community. Can we draw ourselves to a place of obedience where we can grow into a a deeper, better, and more mature journey with Christ? Formation is the process of allowing God to shape us and the stuff of our lives so that we might be prepared to step into what God is calling us to next. God is doing something when moments of Macedonia visions come. It's up to us to draw to a place of obedience. Therefore, when Macedonia moments come, it's time to pause, to listen, to see, and to obey. Around the same time, I was visiting these two churches in the fall of 2010, A local uh, associational missionary took me out to lunch, and he looked at me and he said, have you ever thought about starting a church? Y'all, my literal response was I laughed in his face. Because my understanding of church starting to this time was the Jimmy Swaggards of the world that are starting these mega churches and want to draw as many people in, steal a bunch of people from other churches. My understanding of church starting at this time was what some of my friends from high school had done as they had started churches, which is telling people basically the message, the traditional church is dead and broken, we should just start new ones. And so I laughed in his face. You can imagine how that lunch ended. But I was kind enough to invite him to a mission leadership team meeting that I had within the next month. And there he said to this small group of people, First Baptist Church of Clayton, North Carolina has existed for 200 years and you have never helped anyone start a church. What would that look like? I didn't think anything of it. I walk out of the meeting. Two people from that meeting follow me into my office, close the door behind me, sit down and say, we want to talk about starting a church with you. And for the next 11 months, six of us began to dream and discern this new thing God was calling us to. Little did I know that the willingness of five other people to dream with me would lead me to engage this new thing God was doing. Little did I know that God's no to these other two churches would lead 
to eight years of glorious ministry, some of the high moments of my spiritual and vocational journey. You see, when we allow ourselves to be formed by God, then we can make faith-centered decisions. Paul would have never gone to Macedonia. He would have never been there if he wasn't open to let the Spirit of God teach him something new. Yet his willingness to hear and see God enabled him to go where God was sending him. And in modern day times, as we think about just making a shift on the GPS, as we just slightly change our travel arrangements, this would have been something difficult in first century Palestine. Yet Paul was willing to see a God-sized vision, not a Paul-sized vision of what the world looked like. God expanded Paul's vision to this kingdom-sized vision in which God would lead Paul into doing amazing things. And as we begin to read the New Testament, we see why God called Paul to this place. Paul's obedience led him to do radical things for the kingdom of God. He began to stretch the gospel into new territories, into new continents. The first person he meets is a woman named Lydia. She will become the first European convert. She hosted Paul and his companions, gave them hospitality that helped enable him to go do the work of God. We learn on this first journey that Paul is leads Aquila and Priscilla to Christ. These two people will become sojourners for Paul and Corinth. They will afford him the opportunity to start a tent-making shop in order for him to live daily in this community. Because of the Macedonia vision, we have the churches of Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and Galatia. Thousands would come to Christ, and then hundreds of thousands, all as a result of Paul's obedience to the Spirit of God. A funny thing happens when we're open to the Spirit of God. My first Sunday with you was almost a year to the date of a video chat I did with this church in 2017. When Mike Masser asked me to do a shortened version of a workshop that I had led at CBF's Church Start Exploratory Conference for his church in Louisiana, I said, Mike, I'd be honored to help. So I did the video chat. And then a couple weeks later, I met Rebecca Odenwald at CBF's General Assembly. Didn't think anything of it. And then when I received a call from Rebecca and Ken, a few months later in early fall of 2017, they asked me if I would be interested in submitting my resume to University Baptist Church for their opening of the senior pastor position. I felt a stirring of God. You need to understand something. I was completely content with where I was and what I was doing. Mosaic was at its brightest point. Ministry was thriving. Leadership was strong. And we were bringing on another staff person. CBF Church Start Initiative was was hitting on all cylinders. We were starting dynamic and diverse and beautiful expressions of the church all across the country. And yet, this church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, called me for an interview that led to a video call and then to another video call, and to another video call, and another video call. And Jennifer and I, as we journeyed with the pastor search team, realized that God was doing something new and unexpected. This discovery led to a calling. And although it was unexpected, we said yes. Although it was five states, 13 hours, 951 miles from home, We said yes. We said yes because we believe God is doing something new through UBC. 
As a great Lewis Carroll wrote in his famed novel, Alice in Wonderland, no, no, the adventure first, explanations take such a dreadful time. Do you believe that God is doing something at UBC? Do you believe that God is doing something new in and through UBC? If we're honest, all of us believe that God has a dream for us, individually. And as we dig deeper, all of us believe that God has a dream for the church and the church community. We pray to seek justice. We, we pray to meet the needs around us. We pray to be the presence of Christ in our neighborhoods, to see lives transformed. But consider this. Has God given you a dream for UBC? Have you taken the time to share that dream with other people? Have you considered that God has given this same dream to other people? Have you taken time to discover where that dream might lead us as a church community? You see, individually and collectively, we are going to begin to discover God's dreams for UBC. As we begin to discover these dreams, we will explore how they inform what we are doing as a faith community. Dreaming of new possibilities gives us life. It lets us see that the, the Mycenae and Macedonia moments happen within our life. It gives us an opportunity to pause and discover something new. But do we have the faith to step out onto this journey together? Do we have the faith to share in discovering this new thing God is doing together? Will we say yes to that journey?